Well, good morning. Welcome to Fremont Community Church. It is great to worship with you this morning. And uh, I just want to pray one more time before we dive into a bit of a tricky subject and dive into God's Word. So join me in prayer. Uh, Lord, we come here today um, asking this question, what, how did Jesus interact with politics? And we recognize that this is tough. This is tough to, to take the context of a first century Roman occupied Israel and try to cast a vision for what that looks like for us here today. And so God, we, we ask for humility. I ask for humility for, for us as a church and for me today especially. And Lord, we do as we, as we remember um, the, the, the tragic events of, of September 11th, God, we, we grieve still with those who are grieving. Um, and Lord, we also remember the hatred and division that caused uh, those events to happen. Lord, as we talk about politics today, let us, let us resolve to not contribute to the enemy-making machine that seems to be running the world right now. God, let us not add to the noise of division. God, fill us with unity. Show us the way forward as a church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're doing this series on church and culture, and, uh, uh, and the question we're asking today is, uh, uh, you know, how did Jesus interact with politics? And the song I picked for today was We Didn't Start the Fire, the 1989 hit by Billy Joel. We've all tried to sing along with it in our car, and it's impossible. There's just too many words, and it moves really fast. But I, I it picked this song for a, 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 a few reasons. Uh, this is a song that Billy Joel wrote right around his 40th birthday, and it's filled with about not about, exactly 118 references to major world events. So things that are happening in politics, scandals, tragedies, uh, cultural landmarks, uh, music, all these things that occurred from the time of his birth in 1949 until his 40th birthday in 1989. And he's kind of wrestling with how did we get here? Looking at all these things that had a huge impact on the world. I chose this song for this, this week for, to talk about politics for three reasons. First, Billy Joel wrote this song about a, sp a span of events covering 40 years. And in all honesty, it feels like we could have our own version of We Didn't Start the Fire for just the last three years, right? So much is happening. So much is going on. And it feels like how, I, sometimes I feel like the very last line of the song, Billy Joel says, I can't take it anymore. Sometimes it feels overwhelming. And I would say that, Part of that is because, yeah, some major things have happened. Part of it, too, is because technology has advanced so much since the time span that, uh, that Billy Joel was covering from 49 to 89, right? Uh, technology has made communication happen, and for us to be able to find out about world events, but at the snap of a finger, you, a, a baby panda can sneeze and startle its mother across the world in China, and you can get a video of it on YouTube moments after it happened. In fact, since we're talking about heavy stuff today, I think we should all start with watching this video of this baby panda. Would you join me? Wait for it, it's worth it. <laughs> never gets old, it never gets old. But in reality, the fact that we can find out what's happening even in remote places all over the world seconds after it happens, it's overwhelming. It's just too much information to take in. And it's not necessarily bad that we have that capability, but sometimes it is overwhelming. 
So that's a piece of, of why I chose this song. The second reason I picked it is because of the chorus. We didn't start the fire. It's always burning since the world's been turning. And it's a reminder that human history repeats itself over and over again because we as people, are, all of us, are a mix of good and bad. We inherited a world that has good and evil circumstances happening around us. And we, unfortunately, will pass on this world to the next generation with a mix of good and evil circumstances. It's just the way it is. And lastly, I picked this song because of the statement, we didn't start the fire, sounds a lot like the political language I hear right now in our time. We didn't start the fire, the other guys did. Too much of the conversation in pol politics in our country today is about blaming and demonizing our opponents rather than having a proactive vision for how my city, my state, my nation, even the whole world might flourish. So today, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about politics, sort of. I want to look at how Jesus interacted with the politics of his day and what that might mean for us. And I want to start with this. When we approach politics, we must start with what matters most. What matters most? I think that's the primary thing we learn from Jesus' interaction with politics of his day. What matters most? Here's one interaction that Jesus had involving politics. This is in Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples uh, to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and said, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Jesus is actually presented with a political question of his time. Do we pay taxes to these evil Romans who've occupied us or do we fight back? Do we push back? And I love what Jesus says. He, he, notice the language. He says, whose image is this? On the coin, it's Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Jesus uses that word image for a very important reason. The creation narrative uses the word image over and over again in Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God, that which bears God's image, which is your whole self. And see, Jesus is telling his fathers that there are important things that we will deal with and interact with on this earth, even politically, but don't lose sight of what matters most. Your citizenship in Jesus' kingdom is far more important than any other citizenship you hold. And he doesn't even dodge the question. He gives them an answer. He said, pay your taxes. <laughs> he doesn't dodge the question. He doesn't say it doesn't matter. He just makes sure it's clear what matters the most. And we have to 
we have to follow in his footsteps and focus our hearts on what matters the most. Here's another example of Jesus interacting with politics. Uh, this comes from his interaction uh, with messengers from Herod, who was kind of the puppet king of Israel. He was really, you know, just a puppet that Rome used to rule the people of Israel. He lived like the Romans did. He was motivated by his own comfort and his wealth more than he was uh, motivated by serving the people entrusted to him. And it's a good thing no, ever, no other politician in history has ever been like that again, right? Anyway, uh, Jesus is making waves, and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and if somebody's walking around talking about a new kingdom, that's a threat to every king, to Herod and to Caesar. So Herod's life would be a lot easier if Jesus wasn't in the picture. And so here's what it says in Luke 13, starting in verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. This is maybe one of my favorite Jesus-throwing-shade uh, verses of all time. They come to him and like, hey, man, Herod's going to kill you. And he's like, who? Her? Her? Herod? Herod, got it. Yeah, yeah, you tell that guy, I'm here doing my father's work. I don't have time for him. You can tell him he can kill me on another day, but not today. I've got healing to do. <laughs> I love this. Jesus is not bothered. <laughs> he is, his kingdom is not threatened by Herod. Jesus' message here shows us what he's focused on. He's focused on healing, caring for people tangibly, showing the power of God and the love of God in real people's lives. Sorry, Herod, I don't have time for your politics today. I have more important work to do. And imagine if churches and Christians everywhere operated like Jesus. Imagine if every church in the entire world was so devoted for, to caring for the needs of people around them, healing, showing the love of Jesus, that we barely had time to sit around and talk about politics. Imagine that. And I'm being serious. I think this is the way of Jesus. I think it's the way forward for the church. In fact, next week, please come back. It's part two of this message. It's, it, they go together. You need to hear them both. That's all I'm going to talk about next week is what does a, a different way of politics look like under Jesus? And don't get me wrong, I am not here to shame you today if you're interested in politics. I'm interested in politics. I try to be aware, I'm active in voting, I have all sorts of opinions on so many issues. It does matter. Policies matter because policies affect people. But it's not what matters most. And there's other examples, and these are just two where I believe Jesus shows us time and time again the politics of the day aren't what matters most. For Christians, gaining political power and enforcing a Christian vision upon the world is not the way in which we will make a Jesus-shaped impact on the world. Jesus didn't choose that path. And if we are to follow in his footsteps, I don't think we should either. And I really need, I do believe this needs to be said strongly because for too many of us, politics has become an idol. It's become, it's taken the place of God in our lives as the most important thing, and we spend way too much time on it. And young people in the room, if you're already bored, because you're like, I don't even, I'm not even old enough to vote. Why should I care about any of this? And maybe you're aware of what's going on in the world, and maybe you're not, but at some point, someone is going to come along and tell you that you got to pick a side. There's good guys, and there's bad guys, and you need to hate the bad guys and vote these ways all the time so that you are on the right team. 
And I just don't want you to fall for that because that's not where Jesus wants your focus in life to be. So stick with me even if you're not old enough to vote yet. Honestly, this is what happened to me. Politics became an idol in my life early in my faith. I became a believer late in my teen years and I was surrounded by just really awesome people. Really awesome people who discipled me, who showed me what it looked like to follow Jesus in everyday life. And a couple of them were very, very politically motivated. And, and I looked up to them in every way, and so I just kind of believed what they told me was true. And they essentially were saying things like, hey, this is how Jesus would vote, so you should vote too. And I bought it. I went deep in it. I was on a path that, that, that some might describe that would lead me to something that, you know, is a buzzword these days. It was leading me towards this path towards Christian nationalism. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was on the path to making politics an idol. And looking back, here were the signs that politics were becoming an idol in my life. The first one was the media I was taking in. And I was taking in a lot of it. And most of the media I was taking in was an echo chamber. The political ideas of, of the preferred party were never questioned, never challenged. Opposing views were never heard. Politicians on my side were never questioned unless they showed weakness in compromising with their political opponents. It's the only time they were criticized. Also, the, the media that I was taking in was mean-spirited. It attacked, it attacked people. It insulted people. It never discussed uh, political opponents in a way that acknowledged the truth that they are created in the image of God. It dehumanized them instead. Please know this, and, and I know this seems like a strong statement. You can push back if you don't like it, but please know that all of the media uh, that works this way is carefully crafted it's done by people who understand groupthink and understand social psychology in a way to manipulate us. It's not intended for our good. It's intended for their profit and for their agenda. And we have to be really careful what media we take in. One good question to ask when you're taking in media of any kind, how does this help me love my neighbor? And if it doesn't, turn it off, please. The second thing I started to notice uh, as, as politics was becoming an idol in my life was my language. I began echoing the message and tone of what was uh, being talked about. Never admit you're wrong. Never admit that the candidate or the politician you support is wrong, even when it's plainly obvious that they are flawed or lying or enacting a policy that harms people. Politics became a zero-sum game where winner takes all and you can never concede anything. This is dangerous. And I'll get to why it's dangerous later. The third thing that I noticed as politics became an idol in my life was fear. Fear was the most powerful motivator in all of it. I was motivated by fear more than anything else. And it shouldn't be a shock that this is the case. This is how politicians and talking heads and people who seek political power, they want it to be because fear is a powerful motivator. Think about it this way. If things are going pretty good and I'm running a campaign against the incumbent... I can't be like, hey, man, things are good. Everybody's doing well, but just vote for me. Let's just shake it up. It doesn't work. I have to give you a reason to kick the other guy out and give me a shot. And the only way to do that is to prove that this person is going to lead us down a path that we don't want to go. If they get reelected, the whole world is going to end. And the, the rhetoric gets ramped up and ramped up and ramped up. And here's the worst part about it is that the, the boy has cried wolf too many times. 
every single election is, this is the one that if you don't vote the right way, the world is going to end. And people are like, I'm done listening to that. I don't want to hear that anymore. And when, when real crisis, when real craziness comes up, people are going to tune it out because we've cried wolf one too many times and we've got to check ourselves when it comes to fear. You know, people keep saying America has never been more divided, and I actually don't believe that's true. And you can disagree with me on that, that's fine. Maybe I'm wrong, but I actually think what's really happening is that division is the strategy. I don't think people are as divided as, as media, as politicians want us to believe. I don't think that people who are my political opponents are some sort of other species and I have to be afraid of them. I just know that that's a really effective strategy to get me to vote and, and donate and do the things that I want you to do, right? It's a very effective strategy, selling by fear. And number four, this is the fourth way I notice politics becoming an idol in my life. And if I seem passionate about this, it's because this journey, this roller coaster of a journey I've been on, I feel like God has revealed some things to me that, that were deep-seated. I, I noticed division everywhere. I noticed that I only wanted to be around people who thought like me. I didn't want to be challenged. I didn't want to go to church with people who voted for the other party. I didn't want to be around anyone, Christian or not, who had different political ideology than me, and I, th I thought they hated me. I thought they felt the same way about me. Until one time, uh, my wife Adrian and I, we started a friendship with a couple, and we thought, hey, they couldn't be more politically different than us, but we really like them. What happens when we have a serious conversation? They're going to hate us and never want to talk to us again. And it turned out to be false. They eventually became some of our best friends, and it helped me realize that while Jesus was wanting me to build bridges and form relationships, my politics were trying to burn bridges and distance me from others. Eventually, as I read the scriptures, encountered Christians from other cultures, other nationalities, and other political perspectives, I saw that Jesus' Jesus's vision for his world and his church was much bigger. It didn't fit into one nation, let alone one political party. A pastor that I admire, look up to, Dr. Irwin, uh, Derwin Gray said this, Christian, I think I see it clearly now. Politics has ingrained itself in the soil of America as a religion, promising a form of salvation. The political left and right are fighting for our allegiance and imagination, but our allegiance is to the Lamb. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Our allegiance is to the Lamb, not a donkey or elephant. Those who can't vote yet, those are symbols of the different political parties. What matters most are not the matters of donkeys and elephants, but to follow the footsteps of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know what he said. We know what he did, how he lived, how he loved. What matters most is that we go and do likewise. This brings me to my next point. It's not just what matters most. It's the how that matters. How do we interact with politics? In Jesus' time, there were many different factions of his day, uh, Pharisees, we, we read a lot about. Sadducees, we read about them some. A little bit about the Zealots and then this, this fringe group, the Essenes. They were all groups that believed similar things but interacted completely differently with the world around them. In many ways, they functioned like political parties of the time. And Jesus often criticized these groups not for their beliefs or views but for how they lived them out. For example, Jesus went after some of the Pharisees because they were so focused on the Old Testament law that they forgot that people 
are more important to God than laws. The laws were created for the good of the people, but they only saw issues and never people. They never saw people as people, and they judged and they judged and they judged. They showed no grace. For most, you know, for, for most of these factions they exist that, around, that exist around Jesus, the end justified the means. Whether that meant cozying up to power and money, or whether that meant violence, or escaping the world to protect ourselves, even though Jesus had told us that we were supposed to go into the world as the light of the world. But remember our text from last week. It's in Mark 10. Jesus called them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers and Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve but to be served. Sorry, not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said right off the bat, the end doesn't justify the means. Power over people is not the goal. How we engage matters. The words we use, the tactics we use matter. We don't lie. We don't cheat. We don't play dirty. We do the right thing even if it means we lose. And this goes for the people we vote for. If we're, we are fortunate enough. We are fortunate enough to have the rights to free speech. Praise God for that right that we have. We are fortunate enough to have the right to vote. That's amazing. And with those freedoms, we should hold our politicians accountable for what they say and do, especially those who call themselves Christians. You know, I've heard people say over the time, well, we're not voting for choir boys. Sure, but if someone claims to be a Christian and uses Jesus' name in the political arena, well, then we should expect them to talk and behave in a way that backs it up. And they should think through policy for their constituents, who they're there to serve, keeping in mind that those that they represent and govern are people made in the image of God, people that Jesus died for. That's what we should expect. The how really matters. Remember, Jesus rejects the idea that, 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 that says, I'm the good guy. If I'm in charge, everything will be okay. And it doesn't really matter what I have to do to be in charge. I'll do it because the end justifies the means. When I'm in power, good things will happen. No, Jesus says, not so with you. Here's an example of what I mean. I heard an interview uh, of somebody recently, uh, someone claiming to be a Christian nationalist, and he was asked about a political opponent who was being accused of a certain crime um, and uh, asked what should be done if this person is found guilty. Well, that's treason. Lock them up. Throw away the key. Okay. Then they were asked about a politician that was one of their allies and said, hey, they're being accused of the same crime. What should happen if, they're, if it's proven that they uh, did commit the same crime? Nothing. Why? Well, because they're a patriot. No. No. Justice for the crimes for my opponent, but no justice for my guy because he's a patriot? No. Christians, we cannot operate like this. It is incompa it's incompatible with the way of Jesus. I'm not going to tell you today who to vote for, which party is better, but I am here to tell you today, no matter what your political beliefs are, this is not Christian. 
It is not from Jesus. The end doesn't justify the means. How we engage is more important than winning. Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? As soon as we compromise who we are called to be as followers of Jesus in order to win, we've already lost. A quick side note. I've used this phrase, uh, Christian nationalism, a couple of times, and it's a pretty common buzzword right now. And I push against this worldview uh, because it equates allegiance with nation with allegiance to Jesus. Um, But as I study church history, I see every time Christian nationalism seizes power in in some nation or other, at some point people are pushed to make a decision between Jesus and nation, and far too often they've chosen nation in catastrophic ways. We can't have supreme allegiance to both both because at some point the agenda of the nation and the agenda of the kingdom of God will not be compatible. And we have to choose Jesus every time. And you can go throughout history. I'd love to talk to you about this if you disagree with me on this, but every single time it ends in catastrophe. It's one of the main reasons Christianity is almost dead in Europe. It's because of the amount of time the empire joined with the church, and always turned into oppression. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all for Christians being patriotic. I, I really am. People have accused me of not being patriotic when they hear me preach like this. I, 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 I believe we can love Jesus and love our country. And with that patriotism comes the celebration of rights that, that we have. I believe that it is great to be here, that I can even preach a sermon like this with freedom today. I believe it. I'm grateful for it. But any form of Christian patriotism also must come with the responsibility that we hold our nation to account in making sure that all people's rights are protected, that we live up to the ideals of our nation, that we are all created equal, and that we seek liberty and justice for all. That is good stuff. Our founding documents have some good stuff in it, and it's patriotic to call ourselves to live up to those ideals. Christianity and patriotism don't have to be enemies, but again, church family, we must choose Jesus, whose kingdom is not of this world and is bigger and better than any political party and any nation. When the path to political victory or power causes us to stray from the path of Jesus, we have to choose Jesus every time, even if it means we lose. How we engage is more important than victory. One last point I wanna make today. I know this has been a heavy one. Come back next week. It's going to be much more fun. Recently, uh, I heard something that, that just baffled my mind. And it baffled my mind because truth matters. The truth matters. I heard a pastor talking to his congregation, and he said this, you can't be a Christian and vote for that political party. I'm not going to say which political party it is because I've actually heard Pastors on both sides of the aisle say this about the other team. You can't be a Christian and vote for that political party. Let's be clear. That pastor is worshiping a Jesus of his own creation. He has added to the gospel something that the Bible does not. He's saying to be saved... You have to do what the Bible says. You've got to proclaim Jesus as Lord. You've got to believe in his life, death, and resurrection. And you've got to vote like me. This is a false gospel. 
It has no place in the church. The Jesus being worshiped under this false gospel is not the Jesus of the Bible. And why do I bring this up? I bring it up because the truth matters. We who have been saved have been sent on a mission to demonstrate and proclaim the good news of Jesus because we believe it's true. And the world hears Christian pastors saying things like this, preaching false gospels, and it's no wonder so many people are turned away from following Jesus. Because truth matters, and we must bear witness to the true gospel in the true Jesus. We can't make Jesus in our own image where we pro- proclaim that, hell, oh, wow, look, isn't that amazing? Jesus happens to agree with all of my opinions. We cannot add to the gospel. We cannot distort the gospel. We cannot wield Jesus for our political benefit. Truth matters because we have good news to share with this world, and we cannot let anything get in the way of it. Why? Because we are supposed to be leading people to Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Truth matters. What does this mean for us in the big picture? Well, I think it means it is good to be aware of what's going on. Not to the point where you're stressed out and scared all the time. I think find ways of being informed without diving too deep to be overwhelmed by it. I think we should be aware of what's going on. I think we should be involved when we can. We've been given the right to say something, and when we need to speak up, we should. And we've been given the right to vote, and we should do so and use that right wisely. But I want to say this today. One of my favorite theologians, Stanley Hauerwas, said this. He said, vote, but don't expect too much. Super hopeful, right? Vote, but don't expect too much. Why? Well, not because we shouldn't expect our elected officials to do their job, but because of what the Bible says about the role of government in our world. Paul says this in Romans 13 about sitting to, submitting to authorities. We submit to authorities because they are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Paul tells us that the role of government in our world is to subdue evil. It's to hold back evil and protect people, right? But the flip side of that, the government is not assigned with the task of bringing renewal and life to the world. Its job is to merely hold back evil. That's what we should expect it to do. It cannot bring renewal and life into this world. Why? Because Jesus has chosen a church to do that. He has chosen a people set apart to do that. Stanley Hauerwas says this. He says it all the time, and I love it. The church is to be a politic unto itself. And what does that mean? He says this. This does not involve a rejection of the world or withdrawal from the world. Rather, it is a reminder that the church must serve the world on her own terms. We must be faithful in our own way, even if the world understands such faithfulness as disloyalty. But the first task of the church is not to supply theories of governmental legitimacy or even to suggest strategies for social betterment. The first task of the church is to exhibit in our common life the kind of community possible when trust and not fear rules our lives. He's saying that it's the life of the church that shows the world what is true, that Jesus-shaped community is what causes human flourishing. For the Christian, our demonstration of the gospel lived out in community is far more important than how we vote or who is in the White House. The church is a gathered people that Jesus has chosen to demonstrate that he is the light of the world and we can't outsource it to any politician or party or government. 
It's the responsibility he's given us. And this is what I'm going to talk about next week. Politics part two, and the song I've chosen, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I love Mr. Rogers. This sermon, I, I say this again, this sermon is truly incomplete without coming next week. Um, so please join us in person or online. And if you can't join us live at either one of those venues, then please watch it some, sometime next week on our YouTube page, which you can find at our website, fremont.church. I want to close with a couple thoughts. You may not agree with me in, anything, in some of the things I've said today. And that's okay. Our ability to disagree and remain committed to one another as a community is the exact witness that the world needs. The world cannot figure this unity thing out. It is a very divided place. Let's show them the way to sit around a table together and disagree and not push away when somebody says something I don't like, when somebody has a perspective that I don't like. Instead, stay committed to one another and say, Jesus is our Lord. And that unites us more than anything that could possibly divide us. We didn't start the fire. That's true, Billy Joel. But let's do our best to not pour any more fuel on it. Before I close today, if you feel any sense of of conviction this morning, that maybe like I once did and am tempted to all of the time, maybe politics has become an idol for you. I want to invite you into a time of fasting. And I don't mean fasting from food. I mean a different kind of fast. I invite you to take a politics fast. Is there a podcast or a YouTube channel, a radio show, a news program, a blog, all of the above, things that you spend a lot of time on? Do they fill you with fear and anger? Do they do the opposite of of helping you love your neighbor? What if you took a break? What if you took two weeks, a month off, whatever? Turn it off. Walk away from it. What if you replace that time with, with prayer walks in your neighborhood or apartment complex or your school or your place of work? What if you replace that time by tangibly helping someone who needs help? What if you replace that time with reading the scriptures, particularly a gospel? Get reacquainted with Jesus once again. What if you replaced it with a healthy hobby? For me, I just need to go for a jog sometimes because I get overwhelmed by all that's going on in the world. I can go on and on about the things you can replace it with. But what if maybe it's time for a fast from all of this? Not to say you don't care, not to say that you won't revisit it with hopefully healthier eyes, but to say, I need a break from this so that I can put things in their proper perspective. Stanley Hauerwas He's, he's getting up there in years, and um, he's lost his filter. And it's always fun. I love being around people who are at a certain age, and they're like, I don't care. I'm going to say what i got to say. And he's talking about a lot of stuff, and he says, Jesus is Lord. Everything else is BS. And what he means by that is Jesus is Lord, and everything else pales in comparison to that truth. And if anything is threatening to take the place of Jesus as Lord of your life, then step away from it for a time. Allow Jesus to take the throne and put things back in their proper order. I'm going to ask the band to come up right now, but I just want to say a prayer as we close the sermon this morning um, and join with me as we pray and ask Jesus to, to be Lord of our lives in every way.
Uh, Jesus, forgive me for all of the different ways that I am responsible for allowing things to compete with your lordship in my life. It's not just politics. It's been so many things over the years. But Lord, it's constantly threatened. And all the time, someone is trying to tell us that this is more important. God, please help us. Help us not to add to the noise. Help us not to to participate in ways that, that draw us away from you. And Lord, we need you. We need you. We live in a broken place. It's always been broken. We live in a place that's divided and we need your healing spirit on on our neighborhoods and this city. In California, the U.S., the whole world, we need your healing touch, Jesus. We need unity. Only you can bring that. Lord, I pray this morning, not that everyone agrees with everything I say, but that we as a church can demonstrate unity that is radical in this world. That we don't push each other away. Instead, we draw each other closer. We stay committed to one another under your lordship. And lastly, Jesus, as we head out into this world, let us not leave here with fear in our hearts. I think of the way that you talk to the people who came with the message that Herod's gonna kill you And you're like, yeah, yeah, he could kill me another day. Jesus, what a wild, (laughs) wild response that your kingdom is not threatened by the kingdoms of this world. Help us to live with that knowledge. No matter how bad things seem today, your kingdom is eternal. It is not of this world and it will not be defeated. Lord, help us to not fear our neighbors, but to see them as people made in your image, people that you died for. Lord, help us to leave here with the confidence knowing that you are Lord and you are victorious. We love you and we set our hearts upon you in Jesus' name. Amen.